So when I first connected with uh, Tamara, my guest today, and I heard about her podcast called The Recovering Liberal, I was like, all right, <laughs> this will be a good conversation. Because um, there's a part of me that loves talking to people who have like really strong views, like almost extreme views and feel such certainty about what they think. Because um, I, I find it fascinating to see like if we can find common ground if we can kind of try and make sense and understand how we see the world so differently. I just think there's such an interesting opportunity in that. And I also enjoy a little bit of like the, the what I call like intellectual sparring of it, right? That usually comes in those types of conversations. Um, but what I actually got in this conversation um, with Tamara, it was actually much, much better than that. Rather than an irrational kind of extremist who thought their view of the world was exactly right, I found myself talking to one of the more rational humble, open-minded people I've had the pleasure of speaking to since I've been doing this podcast. And I know that doesn't always make for like the most exciting sound bites and social media buzz and all that stuff, but, but it does make for like a much deeper, more insightful learning experience through this type of conversation. And even more so I'd say in the case of Tamara, because she, and you'll hear it in the episode, has such like a self-awareness about her own personal journey, which included like struggles with addiction, um, some trauma she dealed with and dealt with in her childhood. And this, this shift she's made away from being kind of more of an extreme liberal viewpoint to where she is now um, and ultimately identifying her kind of core value, which is pursuing the truth. And I think, you know, it's funny, the word she uses in, in one of her online profiles is that, um, you know, quite simply, she, the perspective she's bringing is quite simply how an ordinary person begins to explore beyond headlines and really understand the heart of issues, uh, make informed decisions, that type of thing. And I'd argue there's actually something pretty extraordinary about that when we look at the world today, somebody that's willing to take that approach. Um, so this is a really interesting conversation. We covered a lot of ground in the discussion. We talked about, you know, what pursuing, pursuing truth looks like. We talked about the subjective nature of truth. Um, we talked about really a lot of things, having a moral high ground and how that can be dangerous, the difference between liberals and conservatives, um, some more recent political stories like the attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband and January 6th, all that different type of stuff. Um, but the thing that was consistent throughout the conversation was despite my best probing and prodding and pressing um, was Tamara's consistent approach to just be as objective and humble as she could be. Um, so this was, again, although it wasn't the conversation I expected, it was one that I thoroughly enjoyed and, and made me think a ton. Um, so hopefully you guys enjoy listening to it and it makes you think as well. All right, Tamara, thanks so much for being on. Really appreciate it. Excited to talk to you today. I think it's going to be a fun conversation. Um, I'd like to dive right in, though, so I'll get right to that first question of what's the value that's most important to you. Okay. I'm going to come in hot and say it's pursuing truth. I love it. Um, and I tried to think of something else. I honestly did because that was the first thing that came to my mind. And I was like, that word truth somehow, you know, it used to, in whatever context it was used, it used to be pretty noble, a word. <laughs> no matter what. And now it seems like it's been distorted somehow into kind of a contentious term. Are you talking about mm. absolute truth or your truth or my truth or your truth or relative truth? Mm. Um, but for me, what I mean by that is just continuing to expand my own knowledge and understanding of myself, of the world, um, because that's been straight up the key to the most miraculous transformations in my own life. I love that. No, that's awesome. Um, maybe let's start with that of, of why why that's so valuable, why that's so important to you. Obviously, there's been some lived experience of it, but what is it that, you know, at this day, today, whatever we were at, November 10th, that you say that's the most important value? That's the thing. 
Yeah, I think because it, so I think there's this aversion as humans to uncertainty. Um, there's a lot of that outside of our control, but I think one of the few things we at least think that we can do to control uncertainty and maintain control is to keep our box relatively tight and our reality pretty steady. So have this consistent, unbothered interpretation of information. Um, and I, I can certainly identify with that. That was kind of my jam for years and years. And I find that the more I can kind of tear down those walls and be open mm to new information, even if that leaves me uncertain and confused as to where to go, that it's always more empowering to know and to increase my understanding than to stay stagnant. Mm. Yeah, it's such like an interesting paradox in that too, though, right? That, And I totally get it and agree with it, that searching for truth somehow ties to being comfortable with uncertainty. Like it, there's this weird dynamic where as we search for truth, there's this sense of like, I'm probably going to, find less of it. I'm going to find more things that are ambiguous as I dig deeper and deeper and getting comfortable with that. And, and honestly, I, I don't have a conclusion to that other than that's, a, that's something I struggle with a lot of like how to find that right balance, because I find myself constantly questioning and asking, but then having to pull myself back and say, like, I don't want to become certain about things. I don't want to have too much conviction that something is true because I know there might always be a different perspective or something I'm missing or something I don't understand. And that's a really tough line to walk sometimes. Yeah, you're you're so right. I think for me, I, it's like I'm afraid that I'm going to enter this, you know, Keanu Reeves in the Matrix and red pill myself into this rabbit hole. And because the guarantee when you commit to pursuing truth and you know, new understanding is that you don't know where it's going to lead. Mm. And you may find yourself, you know, right back in the same position or on the opposite side or, you know, the thousands of places in between. But I've just always found it's especially been true when you ask about why in my current reality in my current life today, that's important. I've just found it to be especially true in parenting. Mm. I'm a new mom. Um, I have a just over a two-year-old and a one-year-old. And when I entered motherhood, I found that I didn't really have the luxury anymore <laughs> of kind of ignoring reality and just sitting back pontificating about concepts mm -hmm. and ideas and metaphysics and philosophy because there's real stuff outside of my window of understanding that does impact our everyday world and mm -hmm. I didn't want to think you know I need to read labels at the grocery store because they might be putting bad stuff in there like I didn't want to think about that stuff because who has time for that but I found that um you know when I get when I learn new information let's say related to parenting and the way that I parent my kids and the decisions that we make as parents, I, I can't say that I've ever been like, oh, wow, I've been doing it wrong this whole time. And I'm ashamed of that. And I'm just like in fear. I can say that I've always felt more empowered to, mm -hmm. okay, like, thank God I know this because mm -hmm. now I can move forward a little bit differently. Um, or at least, you know, help my kids in the future to move forward in a different way that I have my entire life. Yeah. And it's, let me see if I could, articulate this in a way that is coherent um because the, the the point about our our discomfort that we have with uncertainty i think is an interesting dynamic that, that plays into this because as you're saying that let's just go with the example you're saying right when you go to the store and you're and you're looking at labels and you're buying something for your kids you could look at something on there and be like there's a point in time maybe where you're like i don't even care it doesn't matter it's just what it is but then you start to learn some stuff and you look and you seek that truth as your value says and you might find some information that says, oh, that thing's bad. I shouldn't have that thing. But then inevitably, there's always somebody else that's like, actually, that's not the bad thing. There's something else bad. Or maybe two years yeah. later, it's realized like, actually, that's a good thing. It shouldn't be bad. And there's this like 
complexity of life that makes it where it's almost impossible to ever really feel fully grounded and certain that this thing is true. And that uncertainty comes in where even when you're making decisions off of that to say, well, I'm going to give my kid this, or I'm not going to give them that you're not certain you're still uncertain. Like you're still taking a bit of a leap of faith to say, that's the thing. And I think for a lot of people, that's why they don't seek truth, right? As you were maybe before you had kids, because it feels like it's not really worth it. Like I'm never going to get to anything where I could truly feel confident that I could anchor on this and say, okay, I know this for sure. Therefore, none of it matters. And again, yeah. back to that paradox, it's weird because we feel like we should be aspiring for that, but we also know we're never going to get it. So ha why, why do it? Like yeah. what justifies it for you? The more I know, the more I realize I don't know. And yes. that is, I guess it could be scary. Um, but what I'm talking about when I say the pursuit of truth, I'm not talking about the pursuit of certainty or being right. I'm talking about the pursuit of incrementally hoping that I'm moving in a direction that's a little bit better than where I was. Mm. Um, and leaving my kids with, you know, a little bit more than what I had. Mm. Um, I wonder so if really what I'm talking about. You, you just said something interesting to me that I hadn't thought about it that way before. In a weird way, that search for truth is almost trying to figure out what you're uncertain of, right? Like, because mm -hmm. there's nothing to be certain of, to your point. I think that's beautifully said. The search for truth is just figuring out where where am I maybe certain that I shouldn't be? Like, where is the ambiguity that's in there in a weird way? Um, which again, that kind of makes your head hurt as you say it, but it's but it's a funny thing. Um, so maybe maybe to make it real, what have you found, right? As you've started to search more for truth, what are the benefits you've found for somebody listening that's like, okay, we're, we're somewhat philosophical right now and how we're talking. How does this actually make your life better? Why is this something that you're so dedicated to that it actually improves your life? Yeah, well, the most obvious and tangible way is just my health and our family's health. Um, I grew up with, and my mom was a nurse. A lot of my family were in the medical field and I was raised, you know, that you, uh, in addition to that, you kind of overlay that with the super fundamentalist, strict religious environment I grew up in. I was raised as a girl in that world to respect authority and you don't question. Um, so I've, I've always been pretty compliant, um, particularly with respect to the medical industry at large, um, and, you know, systematically taught to ignore my gut. Uh, as a lot of us, I think are. And up until the point, I remember first feeling the first time I really remember feeling at odds with it was in the hospital right after giving birth with my first and how they kept coming in and knocking on the door when I knew in my gut, I just knew on some level that I couldn't really articulate at the time. I know that my baby needs sleep and that I need sleep. And when you're knocking on my door every 15 minutes to weigh her again, how much weight could she have lost or gained in the last 15 mm -hmm. minutes, you know? And it was, you know, the, it, it's not as if, you know, the door knocking did a great deal of harm. I just remember thinking, huh, like, what is this that I'm feeling? And more, I was more alarmed by my, uh, like very quick tendency to just swallow that down and deal with it. So that's the first time I kind of took notice of that. Um, but I really just, I became a little bit more bold and leaned a little bit more into, um, my gut and my intuition. I think that in the pursuit of knowledge and understanding, I think for me, it's been very important to overlay that kind of, like you said, how you can go down a rabbit hole. Where you're like, now this thing is bad. Okay. Now what else is that? Oh no, it's actually this thing. I think that's where it's important to like use your own discernment and your gut, because the things that I feel are most important in the mix of considerations for my family are going to be different than the next person's. And, um, so I, I just started to really pursue 
um, okay, what do I not know about, I mean, first it was the medical community and um, I have so much respect for the people in that industry. And I also have a lot more understanding of just the systems and how they work and where the incentives are, where the money is, where the power is and how decisions are made. And so it's helped me to, um, you know, not want to burn down the system, but at the same time, it's helped me to learn how I can navigate um, around that system in ways that help me advocate for my own health and my family's health. Um, and through COVID, I got, I got really sick. Um, from a certain medical intervention <laughs> that happened when I was pregnant and I stayed sick for about a year and I was unwilling to, because I was very, um, at the time, super progressive and liberal in my political inclinations. I was really unable to consider that this, you know, this savior of, you know, the pandemic had caused me to get sick. And, um, as I slowly just became willing to kind of consider that, okay, I can be a, a, a huge fan of this plan and also acknowledge that it might have wrecked my own immune system um, as I started to just kind of open my eyes and be willing to consider. Like, mind you, my health was on the line. My blood work was panel after panel was just it was getting really scary, to be honest with you. Um, white blood cells were off in one pool and then I get all these I have all these specialist visits and then my next blood draw that level would be normal. But another marker would be off, um, like badly off. Um, I just couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And so I finally got desperate enough to, you know, do whatever I had to do to just as a human being be healthy regardless and kind of divorce myself from like what that said about me politically or, you know, ideologically. And that was the start of me just realizing how the tendency to stay in my own kind of comfort box of what I, what I insist is always true and always untrue was really to the detriment of my own health at that point. And so I started to learn a lot more about just toxins and some environmental factors and things that play a role in our health. And it's been awesome because I've been able to help my kids kind of stave off um, what started to develop as autoimmune issues. Um, and we're not perfect. We still, you know, they eat cereal sometimes and it's not as if we're totally clean and green all the time, but I've been able to kind of guide our family in a better, healthier direction. Yeah. There's like a, um, I often think what we're, what we're striving for when we're striving for truth in some ways is just clarity, consciousness, awareness, deliberateness, right? It's, it's at least, we don't have all the answers. We don't know all the information. We're not always going to get it right, but there's an, at least a level of awareness and consciousness of it so that the things we aren't sure of when we are making a decision that maybe isn't in line with what we normally do, we know why we're doing it. We're aware of it that I think is really important. And I also think as you're speaking, there's, um, cause so let's take the medical, right? I'm sure there are somebody in the medical field or maybe family members you have or whatever it might be, who could be listening to this conversation or others like it. And they're thinking their own search for truth and how, no, 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 but there's information you're not thinking of Tamara, or there's other things and things you need to consider. And it, it, I say that because it starts to illustrate how personal and individualized truth can be, which even as I say that, yeah. I think you and I both know that's part of the problem we have in the world today. Everybody's got their own version of the truth. And most of us think of that as a bad thing and understandably so, but is it inevitable? Like, is it the only way to be that we only have our own versions of the truth? We only have what we feel. You mentioned gut intuition, how your body felt, how your body was responding to things. When we try and put this objective truth, which I think happens a lot today by politicians or scientists or different things at times when they break bad, 
Is that actually the issue? We think that's the problem in that we need more objective truth. Is the answer actually objective truth is causing the problem because it doesn't exist? I know it's kind of a weird question, but how do you think about that, that individual version of truth versus the objective truth? I don't know if this is a direct answer, but the word that comes to mind for me is transparency. And mm. I think that there's we've gotten away from um, powerful systems, letting us be adults and have all of the information to make our own decisions, where the, whether that's, you know, for example, when we knew smoking was bad for us, some people chose to smoke. Um, you know, we all make lifestyle trade-offs all the time. I know that donuts are bad for me, but I had donuts the other day. So mm -hmm. it, it's, um, I think it's maybe not that we need to get so back. I think objective truth can be dangerous too, because then it, it makes, it means we have to make certain groups of people in certain contexts, the single arbiters of truth. And I think that we have, we've really got to balance um, objective truth with, you know, personal freedoms. And in that sense, I think that what I'm asking for and advocating for is more transparency, I guess, more so um, just hear all of the facts, hear all the factors and, you know, wherever that leaves you in your personal decisions is up to you. Yeah. Transparency is the right word. I would add to that word, which I think to have transparency, you need humility. There has mm -hmm. to be a degree of humility. And I, I think of this most often with scientists in the good and the bad, right? Um, I, I, there's so many scientists I respect, some alive, some dead. And, and the ones that I find are sometimes the smartest Nobel prize winning scientists. They'll be the first ones to tell you, like, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. Somebody else might figure out something that, that's different. And I think, you know, we just mentioned the pandemic and there's lots of complex nuance to this. But I think at times where this went bad, where we didn't have transparency, it's because people didn't have humility. They felt like I'm the authority. I have the answer. And maybe they did. That's the crazy thing, right? Maybe they did have the right information, but you're not going to get it received by people when there's no humility, there's no tr transparency, because all of us have this sense that there isn't really an objective truth. And when you try and position it as it as there is, it almost discredits you instantly almost, um, for a lot yeah. of people, right? Yeah, and that's but, a big piece of it. Yeah. And the the loss of the art of just apologizing and acknowledging, you know, when we're wrong, that's the thing about, that's the other thing that's scary about pursuing truth is, as a parent, especially, it means that I am taking accountability for whatever decisions I make with that truth. So in some sense, it's more comfortable to just trust the experts, you know, because then I don't have to really take accountability for the decisions that I make, um, you know, at their behest or, you know, that contradict experts. Uh, but uh, that there's another paradox for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the other dimension to this is, and, and I'm not sure how it plays into it. So let's talk about it is in a lot of those cases, there's a sentiment of whether it be a moral high ground or a sense of I'm doing this to help other people, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm saying this thing, I'm saying it so declaratively, or I'm holding this belief or I'm taking this action because I, I, I need to help other people. And that rises above everything else, whether it be personal freedom or other aspects of it. And on the one hand, I get that. I understand why that's somewhat of a noble thing and people would want to pursue that. But I think there's also a lot of danger in it, obviously, because when you combine the sense of certainty with a moral high ground, there's almost nothing you won't do. I mean, I mentioned him often on this show, but Hitler is an example, right? Hitler was absolutely certain that he was right. And he thought he had the moral high ground. He thought he was actually making the world a better place. Now, that's a super extreme example. I'm not comparing anybody to Hitler, but that can be a dangerous thing. But at the same time, we want people to help other people. We want people to be considerate of others and think of ways to help them. So in the spirit of paradoxes, how do you think about that one? How does that fit into how you- Yeah, that is that is one that I think is such an important personal value and individual trait. I, I remember back when in my 20s where I was just living so selfishly and I was so sick in my addiction, 
um, just toxicity surrounded my life, but I was so idealistic and I took so much moral high ground when I, I really loved identifying with, you know, if me, mind you, I'm not being generous in my own life. I'm helping no one. Mm. Uh, but the, you know, the powerful have kind of appropriated that responsibility and made you think, well, if you support us, then you support helping people. And I'll give you a very practical example. I remember having a conversation with a good friend of mine and I remember telling her, I was like, I don't care. I'll pay more taxes if it means that everybody gets health care, which sounds like a noble thing. Like it, as if in my mind, like my taxes are going into a pot of money that is then someone's distributing mm -hmm. to people to pay for their health care until you understand. That's why I focus a lot on understanding systems and um, what things really mean practically, because that sounds like a really noble objective. Yeah, let's all pool our money together so that poor people can have health care and access the same health care that we do. Not understanding necessarily that it's, it's not going into a pot that's distributed directly to those people. It's going to a government and a system that is subsidizing private insurance, thereby jacking up the cost. And now well, what are we sitting in right now is a, an environment of increasing health care costs. So um, and I'm not saying that means that you should be for or against universal health care. Yep. I'm saying it's much more nuanced than that. And um, that there are all sorts of considerations that surround these issues that we like to say we are more comfortable or I was more comfortable in the past thinking of as just black or white. Like I support this because I'm one of the good guys. Yep. And it makes me think too, I, I've thought this before and I, I will generalize. I don't mean to, it's a hypothesis. I want to explore it, the spirit of the show, but on on balance, right? I feel like there's this distinction between conservatives, liberals, Republicans, Democrats, however you want to slice it. And I'm sure it slices different ways. And again, it's a spectrum. It's not to say everybody's like this, but it seems as if liberals are more likely to say, I'd rather err on the side of kind of emotional, um, moralistic type things. And it, it may be true that the system isn't set up the way we want it, right? It may be true that the logic of exactly how it works isn't there. And, and, I, and I get that. But to me, I'd much rather err on the side of doing right by that poor person or that person that needs help, right? Mm. Doesn't make them bad, good, indifferent. That's just the mindset they take to it versus the conservative takes more of the mindset of, sure, I'd love to help that person. I want to help everybody that we can, but the logic has to be there. I have to understand it. I have to look at the mechanics. I need to make sure it works. And I'd rather err on the side of that. I, I'd rather make sure we get that piece of it right rather than just kind of this, this more virtuous, you know, just go after doing it. And to me, it kind of parallels back to the conversation we're having about those paradoxes of life and the uncertainty, because it's hard to say either one of them is necessarily wrong, right? Because if there's not objective right. truth and there's not a clear way to say that the logic is sound, I can understand why a liberal would say, we're never going to figure it all out. Let's just have our spirit in the place of helping people. But I could also understand the conservative being like, but if there's no logic to it, then what the hell are we even talking about? How do we even know that it's going to help anybody to begin with? Yeah. And I don't know how you reconcile that, honestly. So curious your thoughts on that kind of framework and what maybe we do about it. I've not to just not to blow smoke on your hypothesis, that to be mm -hmm. true in my own life. Um, as far as you're, you were describing me in a nutshell, <laughs> like, I, and I, I would say even more specifically, I've noticed this kind of trend among my like liberal friends and the people that I came up with of, of like the at least, well, at least, mm. and kind of getting in that mode, well, at least they're this, and at least they'll protect this, and at least they like these people. Um, I've, I'll just say that, because now my, my views are differently, I, I even vote differently. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm Republican or Democrat, <laughs> but I vote differently. And uh, I'll just, 
use a really, hopefully not too out of context example, but I have ADHD. About 10% of the population has this type of neurological wiring. We're learning more, more about it, which I think is, I think it's a great thing to bring awareness of a brain that I live with to, to the masses. I think it's great to be aware and to understand each other. I would be insane if I think that 90% of the population should gear itself to my needs. Um, because that's just not how, how society functions. And so I, I think that's where I've begun to see more conservative leaning, uh, at least politically conservative leaning people's argument uh, is they're thinking, let's, you it's know, raise, let's raise as many ships as possible, because we know that, you know, when we're, when more people, when most people, something's working for most people, that we're individually, we're more generous, poverty is down, crime is down. Um, so that I think that we all want to achieve the same ends. It's just the means by which we think we get there is a little bit different. Yeah. Well, let's take the example of you pre kind of the transformation, because I think there's an interesting opportunity, like a use case in that to, to learn and to even empathize to an extent. What 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 did you not what did you have wrong then? Right. Like you you, you came ran a calculation in your head at that time. You determined certain values. Um, you you lean more liberal. You lean more in the way that you're saying. And now you're starting to shift from that. Like. If you were talking to that version of you now, who was deep in that, like what, where's the disconnect? What is it that you realized that you didn't know then? Oh, that the powerful are to be trusted blindly. <laughs> that, that because people are in positions of power and, and look, and this is also an interesting dichotomy here because I, I believe that most people have good intentions. Sure. I believe that most people are trying to do the best in whatever role that they have. I've that's, I don't know about you, but that's what I observe in my own life. And the best, uh, sometimes I think the closest to the truth is like the evidence I see around me mm. in my own life. I know I can trust that and people are good and well-meaning. Um, but at the same time, as I've been able to explore like different political systems and just different like ecosystems in our society, you can start to see where there are plenty of pitfalls for human nature to become a driving factor. And, you know, we're, we know the power corrupts. We know that it's a natural human tendency to try to ensure your career and your future to line your pockets, to protect interests, even if the, maybe even justify, like I, I am amazed as, as, as an addict, I can speak to this. When I started to recover from my addiction, one of the first things that was like eye-opening to me was my own ability to justify like 20 different directions. Mm. If you could ask me like, what is, you know, oftentimes the right thing to do is so it's, it's not black or white. It's just, I have to lean on my own discernment, my own gut, and really you know, what is the right decision for me to make in this moment? And I could give you, you know, 20 different decisions and I could give you a compelling justified case for every single one. And I, I remember thinking that is scary. <laughs> um, that, that is really, it's impressive that we can do that. Um, but it's also scary. And so when you think about just that alone, it's, I can see how as a politician or as, you know, a person in uh, corporate power, how, you know, I would fall prey to that trap of like, well, I'm gonna do the bad thing right now to, because I'm justifying this means, cause it'll put me in a position where I can do more good things in the future. And so it's just, I think having your eyes open to just natural human tendencies, um, at the very least, uh, I, I don't know. I think that's kind of changed my perception of the whole ecosystem. So where, where, where are you at now? I mean, I know it's, it's kind of the, the recovering liberal, I think is the phrase that you use. Yeah. Is it, 
are, are would you position yourself as a conservative now like what your mission kind of what you're doing is it more to say the liberals that is bad or is it more to just shine light to say this whole thing is bad and that's one area where i used to be and i could see that very clearly but it's also bad on that side and actually the way you're explaining it human nature we're just flawed in general so this whole system and structure is bad and back to where we started it's the awareness of that and just being aware of it is it that or is it more directly like no i think there's something uniquely about the liberal mindset or the liberal construct that's problematic it's a little bit of both. So I would describe myself right now, the term that I would latch onto the most, even though I hate labels, but I'm going to give myself one is more anti-establishment. Okay. So um, it's really the whole beast of the thing. Um, I think that's a, it's a really peculiar place to kind of pen myself because it leaves people kind of homeless. Like, okay, if I land on your content and I come to like similar conclusions that you have, what does that mean? Like we can't tear down the whole system. Um, and I'm not advocating for anarchy yeah, by but... any means. Um, but I may, I personally, in my own, uh, voting habits, even I see conservatism, I see Republicanism and my votes, uh, red as a step in the right direction. If nothing else, then I was hoping for a red wave, not because I believed in all the Republican candidates, but because I believed that it would kind of force a reckoning in the democratic party, mm. Um, to come to a more reasonable place. Um, but I think it's, I really think it's overall. I think that I may, I, my biases from where I come from allow me to see more of the corruption in the liberal party mm -hmm. and more of like the moral pejoratives and emotional manipulation because I fell prey to that. Um, I didn't fall prey to, you know, the Republican narrative. I grew up in that. I, didn't want anything to do with that. I viewed, you know, Republicans as judgmental, you know, anti-people who only cared about getting rich. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I thought Republicans were. And so I have a little bit more sympathy and empathy now <laughs> for Republicans. Um, but I also have a great deal of empathy for liberals at the same time, because I understand, like, I feel like I've, I've used this before, but I feel like I was window shopping at what looked like the perfect store for me, because what was in the window was like, those were the things I bought into. And then I feel like then more recently, it was like, I walked into the store for the first time and I saw it was this vast landscape of dumpster fires. Mm. And I was mm. like, wow, that's not what I thought I was buying into for over a decade. Mm. So I'm going to ask a question and hopefully at this point in the conversation, you understand the spirit of, of why I'm going to ask it and, and all that. Cause it's, it's the point of the show. Um, and I'm genuinely asking, like, do you, do you ever fear, because I fear this sometimes, do you ever fear that in that transformation, in that process, the same principles hold, it's just being redirected, right? The things that you bought into or thought you knew about the Liberal Party that made you think and view the world a certain way and hold certain beliefs have obviously shifted. But now it's just going in a different direction. It's, it's the same types, not this, literally the same, but the same blind spots, biases, um, the human nature, the gravitational pull towards thinking like, oh, I've got it now. This is what the world is is happening in the same way, just in a different direction. Uh, again, I'm not suggesting it is, but we'd have to consider that, right? In the spirit of it. At that point, you Absolutely. weren't aware of it. Is it possible 10 or 15 years later from now, you look back and be like, oh shit, I was doing the same thing then, just focusing in a different direction? Absolutely. That has come to my mind numerous times. And I think it's good that I um, am aware of that and can constantly kind of check what I'm saying and what I'm the way I'm thinking against that. I think my cue is when I start to get angry or fearful. Mm -hmm. Those are two emotions that I used to feel 
anytime you put any political story or news in front of me. And so if I start to feel that again, that's when I know I need to take a step back because my same vulnerabilities could easily get exploited just in a different direction. Mm. Um, I also know that when it comes to politicians, so the individual political figures, I will always, always vote for the person who is honest and seems the most trustworthy and has a track record to prove it and is making promises to do what's best for ordinary people, um, I will always vote for them above party, 100%. Hmm. Um, and so I hope that in my podcast, obviously I have more experience. I was never conservative and then I um, kind of recovered from that. I was liberal and I had to kind of recover from those preconceived notions the notions and those prejudices. Um, so that's the experience from which I speak, but I hope that I'm fair to, you know, I've, I've called out, out Republicans on the podcast who are pocketing billions of dollars from pharmaceutical yeah. companies. Yeah. So I don't think that I don't think that any political party can save us. I don't think that any po individual politician can save us. Um, I think that's the responsibility of a different power that we each have to access in our own lives. Uh, but I do think that we can um, help each other in our journeys to kind of let the scales fall from our eyes to see things a little bit more clearly. Yeah, well said. And I think that awareness, I think that's so such a good point you make around the anger and the fearfulness is like, that's your instrument. That's you're checking that, right? If that happens, it doesn't mean necessarily it's a problem, but it's like, ooh, let me see what's going on here because there's some risk. And it's interesting because I think, and and this is there's a no way a value judgment on this. It's just it's a human nature. You could you could imagine in that it goes back to that conservative liberal dynamic we were saying before, where when you kind of say if if anger, fearfulness, some of those emotions kick in, let me pull back. There's probably an implication that it probably does make you a little less liberal in that where you're less just worried about the emotional people part of it. And I just, I'm going to err on that side of it. You're turning off some of those emotions a little bit. And, and whereas in the other way, other people might be turning off whatever you want to call it, logic, practicality a little bit because they value the human side more or the emotional side more. And you're saying like, I'm trying to strike that balance. And you would, I can imagine some liberals who would see that and be like, no, you should be angry. Hammer, like you should be mad about this. And I couldn't say they were wrong necessarily, but for you, you found that like for me to get closer to my truth and what I'm trying to do, I need to turn that down a little bit. I can't have that ratcheted up to high. And yeah. again, it doesn't give us any clear answers like universally. It's just, yeah. it starts to help us understand the playing field a little bit better. Yeah, because even, even though that's my core value, I my life, my life isn't wrapped up in the pursuit of mm. truth. You know, mm. it, it's what underscores everything that I do. But I also have a life to lead. And so while my head can be in the clouds, you know, with respect to the issues going on in the world um, and even like some self-discovery stuff as well, uh, my feet have to be firmly planted on the ground every day because I have kids to raise, I have laundry to do, I have, you know, experiences to have with my husband and with my kids. Mm. And so I, I it's like a constant balance of, you know, I don't, I'm not in pursuit of perfection. I'm not in pursuit of, you know, like, like we talked about certainty. Mm -hmm. And so I don't need to know everything. Hmm. Um, I just need to be open to right. receiving new information. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. How do you think about that? Given the podcast you do and, and the space that you, you, you work in and create content in, because it's a, it's an interesting slippery slope type space where um, it, it's, often to be successful in that space, let me put it this way, it's the loudest voice. It's the most extreme voice. It's the one that is tapping into anger and fear on either side, right? Everybody does this. The media does it. The politicians do it. People do it. Um, how do you live in that space and not get pulled towards that and, and not find yourself 
maybe going to extremes, maybe playing into people's fear and anger because it plays well and it and it resonates and it builds an audience. Um, because listen, you're doing a podcast, you're trying to build an audience, you're trying to build a brand, you're trying to build some things. How do you think about that? How do you balance that? By actively and consciously protesting against that. <laughs> because like I I actually it's funny, I've talked to several people who are like, you could, you know, here's how you could monetize or here's how you could grow. And I have partially because of the ADHD brain I mentioned and how I, I will try to do all things at once when tempted. Um, I have to focus on, I just, I can't do this project at all if I don't focus on, at least for the time being, talking strictly about the things that matter to me. The new cycle is fast. And I think the amnesia that it causes is, it's profound to me. Cause I'll look at something, you know, a politician said, last month and that they're diametrically opposed to today and their actions. I'm like, how are we not like holding them accountable? And so I insist in my podcast, on doing that. Um, and so it means that I will talk about issues ad nauseum when you're tired of hearing about them. Mm. And I will, you know, continue to bring stories to light that I was talking about, you know, last year with my friends because and learning about last year, because they're still important today. And I don't think that, I don't think it's possible to get out of the cycle of just getting on to the next thing until we at some point learn how to take a breath and hold our politicians accountable and hold our leaders accountable um, to what they said and did. Otherwise, how, how are we going to prevent, you know, the same things from happening in the future? I don't know. Um, so I insist on kind of taking a beat, talking mm -hmm. about the things that are still important to me. Um, and talking about them ad nauseum, maybe in much more intricate detail. If you're looking for like an inflammatory, uh, like give me the Hot one, line, like the yeah. one-two punch, I can give it dinner with my liberal or conservative friends. You're not going to get it on my mm. podcast. Mm. You're going to get um, a deep dive into like the big insurance system and how mm. it works and who funds whom. Um, those are the types of things that I yeah. find interesting. So that's what I talk about. Yeah, maybe maybe a live use case just to talk through it because I, I got a chance to to listen to some of your stuff and watch. I think. One of the ones I, I just listened to, I think it was a YouTube video, was about the um, Nancy Pelosi's husband who was attacked. Um, um, and I think that that's that's an interesting one because I, I listened to the video that you did on it. And I think it, much in the spirit of what you're saying, you were trying to present it in a way of like, let's look at this for what it is. Right. There was an attack on a politician. There's mental health issues involved. I think he might have been a drug addict as well, or at least some some drug problems. Um, yeah. Obviously, there's a political aspect to it and, and not being happy with that particular politician and all this different stuff. And I think that illustrates the nuance or the line that you're trying to balance and dance across. Because as I was listening to it, I couldn't help but think if if there was a conservative person in, listening to this, um, they they would they would likely could go two ways, right? They could either say like, okay, I like that she's being fair and balanced, or maybe she should have went even further. Maybe she should have like, this had nothing to do with politics. They're, the media is just totally blowing this out of proportion and it, they shouldn't be talking about it at all, right? It's different. And I could see a liberal watching it and being like, how is she talking about these other, clearly this was based on politics. It was Nancy Pelosi's husband. Clearly this was an, a po pol political driven thing. And clearly social media is to blame because all this hate speech is being put on there. And like trying to walk that line, I guess the only thing you can do is speak your truth, right? Is is speak how yeah. you see it. Um, but to me, that was a good illustration of it. How, so is that right? Like, is that how you approach it? Cool to hear your takeaways. Because first of all, that was my very first attempt at like a shorter form, like mm -hmm. a not 30, 40 minute um, deep dive. I was just yeah. trying to like give a very practical, real time example of what was happening in the news. Um, and my point wasn't that it, it wasn't politically motivated. My point was 
um, this isn't a, a Republicans equal violence type of kind of that reductive reasoning that's yep. so often used in the media. Um, but I'm glad you brought that up because my intention on the podcast, I may have, um, I have way more liberal ideas that than my conservative friends would like. I have, uh, you know, way more down the rabbit hole ideas than a lot of my liberal friends would like and could stomach right now. My goal isn't, it's definitely not to shy away from talking about hard stuff. That's kind of the whole point, Mm -hmm. but my goal is to make a safe space to land Mm -hmm. for people who are just getting a little bit curious about the other side. Um, and just kind of questioning, like, is it okay to change my mind on a Mm -hmm. few things? Uh, because that's what happened with me. I saw, I'm literally just replicating the journey that I had. I Mm -hmm. saw a few people on Instagram. Some of them, you know, were so out there that I blocked them. I'm sad to say, or, you know, at least unfollowed them, but uh, they planted little breadcrumbs. And even though I couldn't hear them at the time, I was incapable of hearing where they came from. They were always there. They were always an arm's reach away. And when I was ready, I went to those people and I'm like, can you just tell me, I I don't believe what you believe, but can you just tell me, I'm just curious why, like, mm. why do you believe that? Mm. Like, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? Um, and people don't, I think a lot of times, whichever way you lean, you get caught in this trap where you assume that everybody's seeing the same stuff that you are. And they just hardcore disagree. Like they're just off their rocker because mm. if they saw this, they would think the same way I do. Right. And it's just not true. We're all seeing li- like different things every single day. We're hearing different information every single day. And so my goal is to be, I hope I accomplish this. Maybe sometimes my sarcasm gets the best of me <laughs> and I don't, but I hope that I stay reasonable enough where um, liberals who are looking for something different have a soft place to land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that illustration of that video, it conveys that because it's all true, right? As far as I, I know the facts, it's something true. There was drugs involved. There is mental illness. There is a political aspect to it. And it's being able to hold that space where like accepting all those things are true because that's where somebody individually could cherry pick and be like, no, 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 it's just this one. Why are you talking about that one? Or it's just that one. Why are you talking about this one? And trying to say like, no, 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 I want to talk about what it actually is. Um, yeah. It's hard and it's it, it's it makes people very uneasy people back to where you were in the beginning people want simple they want certainty they want to say this is what that is they want to put it in the box and what i found is is most um probably is is most difficult for me to stomach but also most difficult for me to embody and everybody is consistency right to be consistent and say okay in this case i'm going to look at the full holistic truth of it and this this is um is consistency consistency of being um looking at one situation holistically and saying i want to look at it all for what it is and but do that in all right maybe the best example of this politically is the january 6th kind of capital riots versus the blm you know everything that happened with that right you look at those and that's the most obvious example to me where depending on which side you sit on you'll hear people saying the exact same things and in one case they're okay with it and in the other case it's it's horrible and horrific and i'm not I'm not trying to oversimplify. I know there are differences between those things, but the ability to be consistent and hold your values and your assessment criteria the same, no matter what the situation is, is very difficult. So how do you look at a situation like that? Maybe let's use that live example. Yeah, I love that. Um, I, cause I, I mean, it's cognitive dissonance, right? Like you don't want to see what you don't want to see. And, um, I was sitting with my, or walking through the airport with my husband we went on a vacation recently and I heard something in the, on the news. And so of course I looked it up to 
see what part of that that I heard on the news was true. And uh, when I looked into it, I looked at my husband, it was about a politician that we both, you know, overall really like and would probably vote for. And um, I was like, I don't like that he did that. I, I disagree with this. And my husband was like, well, why? Tell me why. And I told him, you know, why I think that's a smarmy move. And so I think, um, yeah, maintaining some degree of objectivity or at least acknowledging where you have biases mm. is super important. Um, but I, I think for me, what's helped me do that in the context of politics a little bit better, at least than I was able to before is I've encountered some really dark stuff in my own family, um, my family of origin. And um, I just, I, I was just around a lot of abuse um, growing up, a lot of really dark stuff. And then I totally wrote off my family for a period of time. I didn't speak to either of my parents. Um, there's just all kinds of just generational, like just trauma and abuse and darkness and like bad skill, like illegal skeletons in the closet. And um, I have, it's not the same relationship, but it's not what I would call a normal mother, daughter, mother, son relation or I guess, father, daughter, mm -hmm. mother, daughter relationship, but I have a relationship with my parents today. Um, there's been like an, an incredible amount of forgiveness and understanding. It's been really painful. It would be much easier to not talk to them, or it would be much easier to deny the reality of what happened through my childhood. And which is what I also had tried to do before I cut them off. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I went ditch to ditch in that sense, because the landing somewhere in the middle where you can hold the good and the bad in both hands, like at the same time, like that's a dialectic, right? Like it, they're, I love them tremendously and they hurt me more than anybody else in my life has ever hurt, hurt me. And so that means our relationship looks different and there's boundaries and all that good stuff. But I think that confronting just the reality of what has happened in my family and making actual like making decisions about where to go from here in a way that's best for me and my family um that's allowed me to have a little bit more openness to holding the good the bad and the ugly all at the same time mm -hmm. um no i i get that i, I yeah. get that and i think you're right holding that those two things is is hard it's hard particularly when you know, in politics, you're, you're being pushed and influenced in so many different directions and there's so many different aspects of it. Um, so who do you who do you look at today when you look at the political landscape? Are there people that you think stand out where you feel like, hey, that's somebody that I think gets it right versus others that are obviously bad? Um, how, how do you because there's a lot of people that are just jaded by the whole thing and like every politician's corrupt. It's no point even thinking about it. Are there ones out there that you feel strongly about where you feel like they've got the right idea? I do. I really like Tulsi Gabbard. I mean, yeah. she's someone who is willing to leave her political party mm -hmm. <laughs> because of the corruption. So um, I, which is something that's not going to be good for her political career. Um, being an independent is an uphill battle in and of itself. Um, and she didn't join, she, you know, she didn't like you and I talked about, she didn't get sucked in the other direction, at least not yet, um, mm -hmm. and join the Republican party. Um, she would certainly have open arm, like an open arms welcome there. Um, but I really like her. I have a lot of respect for her and I appreciate her experience and that she is consistent. Mm -hmm. I, I love that she's consistent, uh, that she calls people out. There are some other politicians. I would say that it's more um, situational than like, I can't really paint with a sweeping brush and say, this one is always good. And this one is always bad. Um, I think it's a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. 
Tulsi Gabbard's an interesting one because there are people who think she has gone too far the other way. Like she is, she is an enemy of the liberal party or the democratic party. And she's um, doing a disservice what they're trying to do. And she's, she's out for her own thing or she's spreading lies and misinformation. How do you make sense of that? Right. And I know there's an obvious answer or maybe a, a first level answer, which is like, they're, they're wrong. They're just mad because she's telling the truth. But in the spirit of what you said before about most people are well-intentioned, like if somebody that was super liberal was on this conversation right now, and we're talking about Tulsi Gabbard, like, is there any credence to what they're saying? Like, how do you think they're getting to that place of believing that? And I'm not suggesting they're right or wrong, but like, as you assess it from what you see versus what they might see, how do you reconcile that? How you could see it so differently? Yeah. Well, I think it's uh, from where I said, it seems like mostly cognitive dissonance. I think the same thing would happen, by the way, if a Republican left the Republican Party. Um, I think a lot of Republicans would probably be saying the same thing. Um, so it's, you know, if I can't wrap my mind around like we're the good guys and she was one of the good guys, why would you leave the good guys? I've got to come up with some kind of explanation. And it's usually going to be like a low hanging trope about, you know, she's doing it for her own like interests or she's just trying to, you know, get noticed. Um, but if you look at Tulsi's history, I will say for her, the things, the same things she's been saying about war, for example, are the same things that she's seen her party um, fail on in her eyes. Um, the things that she said about cultural issues for a long time are the same thing that her party has gone further and further away from. Um, so she's been consistent and it stacks up when you look at the history of the things that she's been saying and has been standing for. Um, that used to kind of make her more of like a moderate Democrat, her party's gotten further and further away, away from that. Mm. So it kind of checks out for me. Yeah, I get that. It's interesting too, because it, it brings up this question of um, like, is there a right way to do it or, or the responsibility around it? And by that, I mean, like, let, let's take Tulsi Gabbard or even you in your case, right? Where you see some things that you don't like and you say, mm, I don't like that. Uh, you know, I think we need to do something about it. I want to address it, whether it be through a podcast or changing your party or leaving a party or whatever it is. And there's this, there's this, there's like these two ways you can look at it. There's like the logical, well, not even going to say logical. There's the justified, right? I see something wrong. I don't like it. I'm going to create a podcast and speak out against it. And that's, that seems logical. But then there's like, how much are we responsible of considering the second order, third order effects of that, right? So like Tulsi Gabbard, when she leaves her party, when she speaks out so badly against it, it allows people on that side to assume like, oh, see, she's not really out for the best interest. She's just trying to attack us. Or, and again, I'm not suggesting this is right, wrong, or indifferent. When she goes on Joe Rogan's podcast, right? Should she be more thoughtful than that? Should there be some consideration of, I may see something that's really bad and wrong and I want to speak out against it, but I need to do it in such a way that it's going to be received. It's not going to trigger more anger and build into this divisiveness and, and make more hatred at play. And I don't even know if that's possible, if there's a way to do that. But I find myself thinking that often about all different types of people where I don't think what they think is necessarily wrong, but maybe the way they're positioning or delivering the message or the mechanisms they're using or allowing other people to kind of discredit them when maybe there's a more thoughtful way to do it. Do you think about that at all? I don't th I, I think I see a little bit differently just because there are so many pockets of the internet that are off limits for her message. So somebody like a Joe Rogan who has access to millions, a cabillion of people, you know, I listen to Joe Rogan sure. uh, from time to time. Um, I think that when you have something to say, you go where you're allowed to say it. Um, so I think that's natural. I also tend to think that um, other people's assumptions about your motives are their own problem. Um, I feel like that's, and, I, and that's not to say like I should act in a way that 
completely uh, like fuck everybody else, you know, I'm just going to do what I want. Um, but I think that you can be as mindful and as a, as awareness considerate as you possibly can. And you're never going to account for everything because the cognitive dissonance is always going to lead people to have some kind of assumption about your behavior and your motives. Um, what, if, what if somebody flipped that? And again, spirit of the show, is it possible somebody could flip that on you or I or anybody and say like that, that's you're, you're criticizing liberals, but that's what they're doing. They're just like, they're kind of like, fuck it. Like, I know she doesn't get it and she doesn't understand it, but I believe this is the right thing to do. And, and that's, that's the spirit of the prior question, because it makes me wonder, like, you could constantly run into loggerheads on that because we're not going to see things the same. We're going to have different values. We're going to appreciate it differently. So when it becomes like a, you're wrong, I'm right. Or, you know, fuck what you think I have it right. Versus a more, like you said before, like, I need to understand it. I need to understand how you got to that place and why you got to that place that's that's not always an easy thing to do that doesn't always feel like the right justified thing to do but it seems like it might be the logical thing to do to get to a better place like how do you how do you think about that like could somebody look at you i whoever and say um you are criticizing me when i'm just staying true to who i am and what i believe and doing the right thing you know what i mean yeah i th- could you ask that in a different way i guess what i'm trying to get at is um if if there's this idea that as you said for yourself or for Tulsi Gabbard, where like, you can't, you can't always worry about what other people think. You have to kind of do what's right for you and believe yeah. in that. What if, what if the liberals that, you know, you're talking about here are, are doing that where they are, you just don't get it the way they see it. So rather than calling them out on it, a better approach is to open the dialogue and say, I don't see what you see. I disagree with what you, I'm not saying you don't do this, by the way. Yeah. I don't agree with your approach and your values, but I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's bad let me understand it. Explain it to me. Show me what it is. Right. So back to the example, like rather than going on Joe Rogan, just because I I know you can do that. And I listen to Joe Rogan too, by the way, um, try and find a way to open a dialogue more and expose that type of stuff. It sounds very idealistic and I get that. And and maybe it is, and it's not a real realness to it, but it seems like most people's solution today is to attack or call out and criticize that may not be logical. It may be that we, none of us have the right to call out or criticize anybody else. So long-winded way yeah. to give you the same question. I see, what you're but... saying. I see what you're saying. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think, first of all, I think going on Joe Rogan, I think that is opening up a dialogue. I think sure. we're having That's a three hour long conversation sure. about some really complex issues. And I think, um, you know, we all have a right to listen and interpret and take what we want and leave the rest. Um, I think something you said though, that I, I have thought about a lot is, um, so first of all, I do think that somebody can look at you or I and say the same thing. I do. Um, like, oh, you're just criticizing a party because, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, I think that's why it's been important for me to bring in evidence. <laughs> what I mean by evidence is not just, I'm, and this is a point I try to make on the podcast too, is I actually don't think, I think if you were to sit a lot of us from different ideolo- ideologies into, in a room, I think we would agree on more than we would disagree. I know that sounds like cheesy to say, but I really believe it's true. Um, that's been the experience in my own life is like we, especially if we start with what we agree with, we find that there's like a lot of common ground. We're all ultimately trying to achieve the same direction. Um, I just think that the reason I talk a lot about systems and uh, conflicts of interests and things like that is because I'm, I try to point out like, but here's the evidence of like, are you really telling me that these billions of dollars of incentives had nothing to do with this decision? Um, and maybe it didn't, 
-hmm. Maybe you walk away and you say, no, I don't think it did. I think it was just for the good of humanity. (laughs) But I, my conclusion that I draw from that is that the billions of dollars of incentives are a factor Mm. in making that decision. So we may still come to different conclusions, but that's where I think it's important to talk about evidence and not just make attacks that people's intentions are always wrong. I actually, I, um, I think that it's a trap too, to get pulled into making assumptions about anyone's intentions, period. I think that uh, um, you can assume that things aren't working people's benefit. Um, I think you can come to that conclusion, but to assume that the individuals involved are um, you know, nefarious or have bad intentions, I, I think that uh, that goes a little bit too far. So um, the, uh, the point I try to make, especially when I talk about COVID and the COVID response and those type, kinds of topics is even if we assume, let's just all start at the same place and assume everybody had good intentions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just talk about like the evidence and the decisions and the influences. Yeah. Yeah. There's something really cool. There's a, there's a, I, I often think of it in this concept that I think you're touching on there is um, if you remember like when we used to take like math tests in like middle school or, or high school and there would just be an idea, like you have to show your work. You can't just give the answer. You have to show your work. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's something so powerful in that. And it's kind of what you're getting at. Like when you're looking at those billions of dollars being spent, you're, you're making it very clear how you're getting to your answer and your conclusion. You're showing your work on it. So it allows other people to see it reflect on it, question it, make their own determinations on it. And it's also that transparency and humility we spoke about before. You're not saying I definitely have the right answer. I don't even need to explain it. You're saying, here's how I got to where I got to. So you have the transparency and the humility to say, let's talk about it. Maybe you see it differently. I'm open to changing and seeing where it might go. And there's something so deeply refreshing about that. And I think it's part of the answer to the issue we do. You, you know, again, you said it with with Joe Rogan and versus the more hot takes showing your work, explaining your thinking, showing the evidence, um, being open to other people's evidence and what it is. It's such a, um, it's such a powerful, important thing. And and I'll say like, I'm, I'm genuinely impressed by, by the podcast and this conversation. I mean, I'll be honest, there was coming into the conversation initially, I wasn't sure. I was like, maybe there will be really strong opinionated, you know, conservative views, maybe even through some of this questioning, it's going to trigger some like really, um, you know, extreme, but it's, it's not like, you're not taking that bait. Not that I was trying to bait you, but like, it's real, it's real. And that's what I think comes through in this conversation is that it doesn't mean everybody has to agree with what you believe in, but it shows your thoughtfulness. It shows your openness towards the truth, which is where you started. That to me embodies that Um, you don't have an agenda. You're not working towards something. You haven't predetermined what it is. You're willing to have these conversations and kind of explore and swim in where it goes. And I think that's something that we desperately need more of. So I really appreciate that you were willing to be on the show, have the conversation and that you're doing your show. And I hope people listen to it for what it is. They don't think it's just, you know, oh, she's a liberal or she's a conservative. I hope they listen to it for the truth of what it actually is. I hope and I hope they comment because your point about opening up dialogue, that's what showing your work does is when you just articulate your position it's the only choices are really to agree or disagree <laughs> when you show your work it's like you're opening up, up a, a huge can of worms and and that's what I hope I hope people will comment I hope people will reach out I hope people will talk to me yeah um, and I hope you stick with it because it's hard and I know this too as somebody but like it would be easier to just say the really inflammatory extreme thing that's going to get people to be like oh yeah I want to go listen to that because that gets me yeah. going that works for politicians, podcasters, news media, like that works so well. It's such a proven model. It's a horrible, yeah. shitty model, but it works so well for so you so for you to hold true to that and be like, I'm not going to take that easy route. I think that's commendable. I, I hope so too. And thank you for the compliments. And <laughs> I love your podcast. I feel the same about you. You know that it's 
it's super real when you have one canned question mm. <laughs> the mm. entire thing just go. <laughs> and just flow with it and let just it go, go wherever, it let it land wherever it needs to land as the truth should right as the truth should Touche. Uh, <laughs> Tavra, thank you so much appreciate it a ton i'll put some links to the podcast in in uh the show notes and all that but appreciate it and i hope you have an awesome rest of your day awesome you too thank you terry thanks